start. So if you got your Bibles with me, turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. If you don't have your Bible with you, that's fine. It will be behind me um, on the screens. Starting in verse 11. Starting in verse 11. All right, it goes as follows. And he said, there it goes. And he said there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into far country. And he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But here I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost. And he is found. And they began to celebrate. They began to celebrate. Friends, this story that we just read is a story that came from the mouth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And he spoke of this story as a parable as we are in this series that we're talking about called the Parables of Jesus. Now, I know we usually go through books of the Bible. And right now we're kind of taking a break until August. And then we're going to hit First John. We're taking a break right now and going through some parables that Jesus spoke about. You see, there's a reality, and that is that Jesus spoke in these types of illustrative ways, okay? And it was to drive home certain points to illustrate something important. And if you haven't picked up yet, not everybody understood them, all right? Not everybody understood the things that he said in these ways. Even people that were close to him because they would leave and then after they got out of the way from everybody else, they wouldn't embarrass themselves. They'd be like, Jesus. So like, <laughs> what did you mean when you said that? Right? So not everybody understood these things, but my prayer continually has been that you guys would understand what we talk about here as we illustrate these things and talk about these things that Jesus spoke about in these parables. But this parable, this thing that Jesus is speaking about, I think is of the utmost importance. All right, the utmost importance. You can look at some other ones, and they're trying to drive home some themes that are, are, are very important, but they're not primary importance. Look here, guys. This parable is primary importance. Okay? Absolute. Comes first. Gospel important. And so it is 
definitely necessary that we pay attention and see what Jesus is speaking about in this story, okay? This is a story that if you're Christian, we all should relate to. This is a story that if you're a saved person, you should be able to hear and you should go, this ain't just a story, this is my story. This is not just some story, this is my personal testimony. And if that's not you tonight, man, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I really, really, really pray that you leave here tonight as a different type of man. Speaking in the language of the parable we just read, a man that was lost but is now found. Or is going even deeper, a man that was dead but now is alive. All right? And that can happen here tonight because uh, we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this story is very important to me, and it reminds me of a story of my mom. Okay, <clears throat> When I was 17, I moved out of my mom's house. Right, I left. I graduated when I was 17. I left. I thought I'd been liberated, right? I thought I'd been freed. Like, I'm finally away from, you know, the, the iron fist of Denise K. right? You know, that, that 10 o'clock curfew was just driving me crazy. So I just had to break free. So I, I left at 17 without looking back. And, um, and then for the next six years, dude, I did what this man did. I squandered everything away. My money, my mental health, my physical health, my emotional health, my spiritual health. I just took it and I just wasted it away. Right? I became a drug addict with zero morals. All right? I became a person who was desperately in need of salvation, but yet believed not in salvation. I was as the illustrative ways that Jesus spoke about, desperately lost. Desperately lost. When I was 23, six years later, I moved back in with my mom, okay? It's kind of embarrassing to move back in with your mom when you're uh, 23 years old, but I moved back in with my mom. The gracious thing that we should see is that she allowed me to do that, okay? Moved back in with my mom. A month later, I went to rehab. All right, you're like, I'm learning a lot of things about my pastor tonight. Went to rehab, okay? I'm uh, not ashamed, but I went to rehab, and she paid the way, <laughs> okay? And um, three years after that, uh, my mom passed away in 2019, all right? Well, my mom passed away in 2019. Um, this is a lot of information I'm just giving to you in a little bit. My mom passed away in 2019. I went and I found her Bible, okay? And, D- and Darren can uh, uh, testify to this story to be true. I found her Bible, and in her Bible was all these prayers. You see, in 2011, my mom had 85% of her tongue removed, uh, for, from cancer, okay? So she no longer could talk like she used to. She was a teacher, but she, when she talked, it really was a lot of pain. It hurt her, and it was just kind of distorted. You couldn't really tell, so she wrote her prayers down, all right? And so in this Bible was prayer after prayer after prayer that was dated during that time where I was a lost man, during that time where I was squandering away without a care about my mom, without a care about anybody. All I cared about was Cade. And all she could pray about was, Lord, draw him to you. Man. And, and it just broke my heart and made me happy all at the same time to know that my mom, even when I could care less about her, still cared for me. Okay? And all that is a good story, and it makes me so happy to hear about. But in comparison to this story that we talked about a second ago and just read, it is nothing Right? We can relate. Yes, yeah, she allowed me to come back, and it shows the forgiveness of my mother, and that was a great thing. But in comparison to this story that we just read, it is nothing because this story is not just about a man that sinned. 
or this prodigal son, right? He has returned. What this story really is, is a parable about a welcoming, graceful father. This is not a story about the identity of a man as much as it is the identity of a welcoming, graceful, merciful, holy father. That looked past the selfishness of the man and welcomed him into his arms. This is a story that's not just about the sinfulness of man, but that the sinfulness of man met a savior and was redeemed. This is the story that we're talking about here. And the first part that we see in the story is, yes, this is a story that's not just about a a sinner. It's about a savior. It's about a welcoming father. This is a story about salvation. And the first thing we see here is that this is a story about a sinner who squandered everything. Everything. A sinner who squandered everything. Look, verse 11 through 16 says, And he said there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. Give me the share that is coming to me. Right? You hear hear the theme there? And he divided his property between them, and not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in what? In reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. Man, he went from a place where his father had enough to give him something that he could just split the, split the family's wages, right? To go into the, to the fact that he had to go work the pigs in the field. And he was so hungry that he wanted to just eat the slop that the pigs ate. But he couldn't. <laughs> the owner wouldn't let him. Basically, he was a slave. Basically, he was a slave. And the scripture ends up like this. And no one gave him anything. Anything. This parable begins, and because the parable begins this way, we will begin this way. This parable begins with the sinfulness of man. With the sinfulness of this son. Give me what is mine. It's this this natural tendency that we are predisposed to, this predisposition to sin. What that means, guys, is like when you were born in this world, did anybody teach you to be a terrible little two-year-old? Yeah, they, you, just, you just came that way, right? Because you were born into a world that was dead. You were born into a world that was spiritually dead and, and involved in sin, right? And so you have this natural disposition to sin. And we read this story and we get very Pharisee-like, right? We read this story and we want to be like the Pharisees when they heard this story and wag their fingers and look down their nose. Or if you're like me, you look out of your glasses like that. And look down at this person who took his family's inheritance and spoiled it. We want to look at this person and say, what kind of person is that? What a terrible person. I would have been like the older brother. I would have stayed home with my dad. That's how we like to read this story. But the reality is, friends, we need to look at it this way. Instead of looking at the story about what kind of terrible person it is, we should look at this story and it should be like a mirror. And instead of seeing how terrible he is, we should see how terrible that, that human nature is. That we are just predisposed, natural tendency is to go the 
opposite to go into habitual sin, to go into revolt against God. And so when we see this story, we see this man go and squander everything he had, we should see us in our sin going against and rebelling against a holy God that created you for something perfect and good. So don't look down our nose at this guy who took his dad's money and left. You should look at this story and see you in your sin and see me in my sin rebelling against the holy God that created me for a better purpose. The reality is we should see ourselves. Because why? Because like Isaiah 53 says, all like sheep have gone astray. Like the Bible says, like all of our righteousness is as filthy rags that all have fallen short of the glory of God, that no, there is no one good, no, not one, right? Do you get the theme here? The Bible's pretty clear that left man left to himself will screw up every time. Man left to himself will never be able to get things right. The real truth is that God will let us do that if that's our desire. And if you're friends, if you're waiting, look, here, stick with me, friends. Look, if you're waiting for God to chain you to the church, man, you're going to wait for a long time. If your desire is to rebel against God, to go against the things that he wants you to do, to come to church, to act a certain way and leave and be another person, then guess what? He will let you do that. That is the story of Romans 1. That man who, who knew the things of God, yet turned against the things of God, God said that he gave them over to their own debased mind. He gave them over to do whatever they wanted to do. Because he's not going to control us and force us to do something. So could the father have said, no, I'm not going to give you that money? Yes, he could have. He's his father. But what did he do? He gave the man his heart's desire. He gave the man his heart's Desire. My desire and my hope, friends, is that when we're saved, if we get genuinely saved, that the desires of our heart will begin to change. And it will no longer be to rebel against God, but to walk hand in hand with the Lord. That it will no longer be to act fake one here, one place, and then act another way, another place, but instead to put a real, genuine look on our, on our face, to take that church mask off and throw it away and say, yeah, I've got some faults here and there, but I'm walking with the Lord and I'm trying to fix those things. That, my friend, is what I hope our desires can change into. You see, in the middle of this wandering, what we see is false joy. That's, that's really what sin is. Sin is, is this thing that's kind of covered up to make you appear like you're having joy, but the reality is it's false joy that never leads to any type of fulfillment. And so what did the man have? He had money, he had friends, he had uh, uh, sinful living. What did the scripture say? It said that he lived recklessly. So he spent money, he had friends, he was probably doing things a little immoral. And you know what? He thought he had it made. He thought he had joy until, guess what? The money ran out. And guess where the friends went? The money ran out and guess where the joy went? Because it was vain. It was fake. It was fraudulent. It was not real. It was not genuine joy. See, the only thing he was left with after the money ran out was his consequences that was created because of the sinful life that he was living. Loneliness, depression, 
hunger. Right? He desired to eat the slop that the pigs ate, but yet did not get allowed to do so. Look, friends, some of us have gotten to the point in our moral living where we've been left alone, right? The joy that we had has been obviously confronted to you and it's no longer real, it's no longer genuine. You see it for what it really is, it's fraudulent. And now you're like this guy, you're lonely, you're depressed, you're spiritually just famished, you're starving. But unfortunately, some of us will be like I had to be and be like this man had to be and had to lose everything everything before they came to the realization that they were in desperate need of salvation. And so that's what we see here, friends, is, yes, this is a story, and it's not just about the sinfulness of man, but that's where it starts. And where we go next is, is that the sinfulness of man changed. There was something that happened, and this sinful man turned into a repentant son. Okay, this sinful man turned into a repentant son. You see, verse 17 through 19 says, but when he came to himself, that's a good good scripture right there. When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I'm here perishing with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against you and against heaven And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. You see, friends, the person who was a a perpetual, habitual sinner, who, who was just taking everything and squandering it, turned into a repentant son. And you know why? Because repentance always follows awareness of one's own sin. Repentance always follows awareness of one's own sin. What do we see? What do we mean by that? You see, I can't repent of something I don't know about. I, I, I can't repent of something. Has anybody ever apologized to you, but it's always like, it's like hollow? You know, they really don't mean it. Like they say, I'm sorry for something that's just because you're like mad at them. So like, maybe I can get this person on my back if I say I'm sorry. Anybody ever had that situation happen to them? But then like two days later, they do it again. Because they, they felt sorry for something, but they genuinely wasn't repentant of it. They felt sorry for something, but they didn't really want to change. You see, guys, we can't repent of something that we're not aware of. And sometimes it takes hitting rock bottom before we really genuinely see that I have something to repent of. Like, like sometimes I just need to see and be exposed to my own depraved nature, my own sin, my own problems to see that I have a necessity and a hole that's in my heart that only will be filled with a Savior. And this sin, this depraved nature that I have that's caused me nothing but heartbreak, loneliness, depression, sadness, hunger, all these things, that that thing could be filled and only be filled with a Savior. Thankfully, this story, this parable, is not just a story about a person who sins, but instead it's a story about a repentant sinner who finds a Savior. The Scripture says that godly sorrow brings forth repentance that leads to salvation. So what's the equation? Conviction brings forth godly sorrow, and because that godly sorrow is brought in, that then brings on repentance, and then hopefully that repentance is met with salvation. But let's be real, though. There's a difference between feeling sorry for something and being repentant. 
There's a difference between feeling sorry for something and being repentant. You see, look at the parable. Let's go, always go back to the text. Look at the parable. The son saw his sinfulness and knew in himself he would never be able to change that. He would perish. He would be without things. He would go so hungry that he would literally starve to death. And so he thinks to himself, man, the, the servants at my dad's house, house have it better than me. So what does he say? I, I will arise and go to my father. <laughs> I love that. I will arise and go to my father. Unfortunately, right before that is where a lot of us stop. We come to church. We hear the gospel. Get convicted of sin but then never carry the next step out. We, we white knuckle that chair. We're not going to talk to anybody about it. We're never going to confess our sins. And then the confession of that sin is always met with the forgiveness of the Father. But we don't want to really confess those things because deep down inside our heart, we really don't want to change it. We're sorry, but we're not repentant. I'm sorry that I like to do these things, but I don't really want to change. Like, that's where a lot of us are, friends, and, and that's going to stop, that's going to really withhold you from stepping into this life with Christ. Because you're sorry, right? You feel bad, but that's not enough to really cause you to want to change your life. You see, genuine repentance creates a change. A genuine change. Genuine repentance creates a genuine change. The son was convicted genuinely, repented genuinely, and guess what he did? He said, I will arise and go to my father. That's an action. So genuine repentance creates in us a genuine change, and we see that with action. So friends, if there is genuine conviction in your hearts tonight to change your life and to live for the Lord then we must see to it that we continue on with that, repent, and we repent by creating an action. We open our voice, we talk to somebody, we come to an altar, we say something. We don't white-knuckle these chairs and say, maybe next week. Who knows if there's a next week? Right? People, people perish all the time without knowing that's going to come. I'm not trying to scare you into anything. I'm just trying to tell you that's a reality. That's a reality. Conviction brings forth repentance that leads to change. Repentance is more than a feeling. It's more than feeling sorry. It's an action. It causes us to do something. What have we been sorry for but we did not repent of? <laughs> what have we been sorry for but we loved it more than we genuinely really care about God? I'm speaking to myself too. Okay, don't think I'm just stepping on your toes. Are we aware of our sin? All right, well, let's do what he did. Arise, run to the Father. All right, this is a parable about a sinner. It's a parable about how that sinner repented of his sin. But guys, most importantly, and I'm going to kind of get through this, and I'm not going to try to rush through it because this is the most important part of the whole thing, that he was a sinner, he was a repentant son, but he was welcomed to the arms of a welcoming father. This could really be about, this could really be the parable of the welcoming father instead of the parable of the prodigal son, right? He was welcomed by the father. Verse 20 says, and he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, 
the father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quick. I love that. <laughs> you hear what the son said? He's like, Lord, like, like, Father, like, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Just let me be your, let me be your, uh, uh, your servant. And you know what the father did? He didn't even acknowledge the statement. He didn't even say, he didn't say like, all right, yeah, that's true. You'd be my servant. He didn't even acknowledge the statement that the son said. Let's read that again. He says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but the father said to his servants. He didn't even acknowledge him. The father said to his servants, quickly bring the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead, is alive, he was lost, he is found, and they began to celebrate. Look guys, I don't have time to go into uh, detail. It could be a whole other sermon about what it means to put a ro- ring on your finger, a robe on your back, and feet on your, feet on your shoes, shoes on your feet, right? It could be a whole other sermon, but what I want you to see here is that what happened is, is this man was repentant and he was instantly met with open arms. Right? No restitutions paid, just grace. No restitutions paid, just grace. Praise God, this isn't just a sinner who felt bad. This is more than a parable about a prodigal. This is a parable about a father with unending lavishing grace you ever uh anybody got younger siblings i don't but i know some younger kids anybody ever been in public and seen the kid like acting a fool you're like if i was that parent (laughs) that kid would be doomed right like i've been that guy before you know what i'm saying like that parent those parents right i've been that guy but like you see like these situations happen where this kid is acting a fool Straight fool, disrespectful, whiny, crying out in public, whatever it could be. And then in the in the afternoon, after being a fool all day long, you know they they apologize, and then their parents take them for ice cream. And we're like, what a terrible parent. Yeah. Friends, I hope you see this. You absolutely, indefinitely, a hundred percent never will deserve the grace that God shows you. You butchered everything he's ever done for you. We butchered everything he's ever done for you. We've turned our back on him. Even while we were sinners, he showed his love for us. Look, guys, get this. He, knowing that you would turn your back on him, deny him, went to the cross and said, I would die for you, and we could never do anything to deserve that. Instead, we say, Lord, I'm sorry for the transgressions that I've created against you. I'm sorry for rebelling against you. And he takes you for ice cream. And he says, huh, all right. That's enough, right? What, that's, that's the equation to salvation. It's, it's conviction, right, that brings forth repentance, and it leads to salvation. That is the response that's exactly how our walk is with Christ. And we look at those parents, including me, and be like, that's a terrible parent. But that's exactly what God does to us every day. We don't deserve that trip to the ice cream shop, right? We don't deserve the grace that he shows us, but yet he lavishes us 
with it. We didn't earn it. And that's what makes it grace. When we're convicted, we're welcomed. After we repent into the open arms of God, He doesn't say, all right, well, do this, this, and this, and then I'll let you in. Right? That's not what He said here. As a matter of fact, the Son said, look, I'm not worthy to be your son. Just let me be your servant. The Father ignores Him and says, hey, servants, go get the ring, go get the robe, go get the sandals, go get that cow we've been fattening up for a couple years, kill it, put it on the grill, we're about to have a party. Right? He doesn't say, do this, this, and this, and then I'll bring you in. Instead, he runs to him. Guys, get this. When you are repentant to God, he doesn't say, well, do this, this, and this first, and then I'll love you. He runs to you with open arms, wraps you up in his arms, puts a ring of royalty on your finger because you've been adopted into the family of royalty, puts sandals on your feet so that way that the world could no longer create calluses on you because you have a faith that can't be rocked, puts a robe on your back that the sun and the enemy will no longer be able to burn you and cause you to have these issues in your life and says that this man who was dead is now alive. This man who was lost is now found. This person who was an orphan is now adopted. We don't meet a father who expects works in order to earn his love. We meet a father who is full of grace and mercy. Who loves you. Who doesn't demand you to pay restitutions. To pay back what you owe. As a matter of fact, there's no way for us to ever do that. And if you ever think, if you're minded right now, you think, that I've done too much for this reality to be applied to me, you need to tell the enemy just to back off. To get, get out of the way of what God's trying to do in your heart. Because the reality is, is we could never outrun the grace of God in our lives. You see, the cross of Christ covered every repentant heart. All repentant hearts. This man went and spent all of his money on, gosh, who knows what. I've heard some stories. Who knows what. We've done who knows what in the privacy of our own rooms. We've done who knows what in these conversations that we hope nobody ever finds about. But guess what? He accepts you with open arms when we're repentant. You are not outside of the grace of God. The Father with open arms welcomes you. As I'm closing, guys, I want you to think about this real quick. Give me about three more minutes. As I'm closing, I want you to think about this. Where are you? Right? In this story, where am I? Am I squandering away still? Right? With, with no cares or conviction about the things that I'm doing in my life? Is that, if that's who I am, right? Or am I that person who's been doing that? But now that godly sorrow is resting on my heart. And I'm convicted of the sins in my life. And I need to make a confession of repentance to the Lord. We talked about people who white-knuckle the chairs and just say, maybe next week. Look, guys, tonight is the day. Today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not next week. Today. And if we need to get right with the Lord, we need to do it tonight. Have you been repentant? But never just stopped and never saw it through. Tonight, friends, I, I hope you can see 
just like this repentant guy did, that you need to arise and run to the Father. Look, we're going to play a song. I'm going to pray. Some leaders are going to be around this, uh, this, this area right here. And we're going to ask you, right? Because what? Repentance is more than just being sorry. It's an action. And so we're going to ask you, if there is something that you need to get clean with tonight, that you need to repent of, maybe you've never even professed faith in Jesus Christ at all. But tonight, the God has laid on your heart that you're not right with Him, that you're not, you're not in the right place with Him, that, as a matter of fact, y'all don't really even know each other, but He's been convicting of you of your sin tonight, and tonight you need to repent of that and get clear with Him for the first time. Hey, man, these altars are for you. But if tonight is one of those nights where you know you're like, hey, man, I've known the Lord, but I've been living a life of sin apart from Him, and I just want to run to the arms of a welcoming Father again, these altars are also here for you tonight. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask our leaders to come up, be ready to pray with you in case you want to pray. But you're welcome to kneel here by yourself or come and talk to a leader and pray. But I'm going to pray, and we're going to allow you to respond in that way if you desire to do so. Father God, Lord, thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Lord, you are the king above all kings, full of grace and mercy. Lord, I pray, God, that that tonight the words that came out of my mouth was anointed by your Spirit, Lord, that they fell, like we talked about a few weeks ago, on good soil, ready to produce fruit, God, that the kids that were here tonight heard and didn't hear me, but they heard you, Lord. I pray, God, that the things that were said take root in their hearts and that they repent and turn to you, Lord. Lord, you're worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our devotion and dedication. So let tonight be night number one for some people in here when they're saying, look, I'm not, I'm not going to get everything perfect, but I know I'm going to live my life focused on Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. These altars are open if you want to come.